Amber, have you heard of the legend of Davy Jones's locker? Davy Jones' locker? Yes. It is said that the locker is a dark place at the bottom of the ocean that becomes the final resting place for all things lost at sea. Is that where all our unpublished episodes are? It is. But as sailors that are still above water, do you know what we're going to do? Are we going down there to rescue them? Of course. But first, we drink. Cheers to all our lost episodes. Cheers to all our lost episodes. Veterans Drinking Vodka presents From the Locker of Davy Jones. Amber, what are you drinking today? I think I'm on day 65 of water. Yay. And I have the fancy water. I see. A Walmart brand or tap water. I was going to say, is it actually from a bottle and not from your sink? Yes. No, it's real Sunny water. (laughs) I feel so privileged right now. I shouldn't say that, but I do. Water. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. Amanda, what are you drinking? Um, I'm a little bit under the weather today, so I actually have a steaming cup of Theraflu. And it's making me feel better. Good, good. I need you to feel better. Yeah. I'm hoping, kind of like a 24-hour bug that's going around the house, and I seem to be the last one to catch it, so. Yeah. Well, then you should be the quickest one to get over it. I hope so. I hope by tomorrow morning it's done because I got a lot to do tomorrow. Yeah, I know you do. Welcome to this episode of Veterans Drinking Vodka. We believe that every veteran has a story to tell and we are here to tell it. We have found that being a service member was easy, but being a veteran can be very hard. In this episode, we are talking to Zoe Magneta. She served in the United States Navy. So you got a bunch of sailors. Sailors. But she was in the Navy from 2002 to 2012. How are you doing, Zoe? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm super we are excited. So excited to have you here. Yes. <laughs> and what are you drinking with us today? Well, now I feel like I'm the odd sailor out because y'all aren't drinking and I am. No, you should so, not feel like God Taylor. Like, you need to nice drink life. for us. Right? I even got a big one too, anticipating that like I was going to be like the person least drinking because I <laughs> rarely drink as it is. This will be my one drink for the entire night. But I hope, well, we Amanda, will, you feel better. I Yeah, I'm working we'll on it. We'll start by cheersing you off for being the true sailor this evening. <laughs> right? What are you drinking? Oh, Tito's and bubbly. That's our girl. Yeah. I always bubbly. Super, super. Ch- and then I put like some fruit in it to like church it up a little bit, you know, make you it go. look classy. Yeah. <laughs> you always got to church it up. Mm-hmm. Navy Sailor 101. Don't ever let them know you're drinking and always be drunk. Zoe, where, were you, where are you from? And can you tell us how your story started? Well, <clears throat> Originally, like I've lived so many places where I'm from right now. Currently, I live in Grays Lake, Illinois, which is like our uh, northwestern Chicago suburb. It's kind of closer to Wisconsin than it is Chicago. However, I am not a Green Bay Packers fan whatsoever. Chicago Bears. Um, But I mean, if we're asking serious, like, from like birth or like where I grew up I actually grew up in North California in wine country in Santa Rosa Sonoma Napa Lake County that's about two and a half hours north of um, San Francisco and then I moved to Las Vegas before I joined the Navy and then the Navy brought me here and then I stayed here (laughs) perfect Um, what made you decide to join the Navy? 
I'm sure that this whole reason for you guys even reaching out to me is maybe because of my VFW article that was in the magazine, which tells my whole story of why I even joined the Navy. But I was going from place to place. I was a homeless youth. My parents weren't in like the best um, frame of mind so, to eloquently speak. So I decided to take off and do my own thing because I didn't want to be around that environment any longer. I just, it constantly grew and grew to be a more worse situation. And I just knew that there was no other way for me to get out of that, except for possibly joining the Navy or any branch at that point. I was thinking, I just need some sort of discipline and structure and something to get my mind right and get out of this like downward spiral that I was in and remove myself because I knew that I wasn't going to have any help around me. I wasn't going to be like thrown like a mass amount of cash or given like this golden opportunity. So I needed to do it on my own. And I did that by joining the Navy. I originally was going to join the Marine Corps and I told my grandma, I was like, grandma, I've decided to join the Marine Corps and my grandma with, I, I love her. Rest in peace, Grandma Gogo. I value everything that she's always said. So if she says don't join the Marines, then I'm going to listen to my grandma and I'm going to find something different. But with the Navy, I've had so much history already in my family, all the way back to my sixth great grandfather found this on Ancestry.com. Going all the way back to my sixth great-grandfather, there's always been a service in my lineage. My sixth great-grandfather, he served at the Battle of Bunker Hill during the Revolutionary War and died in Boston when that happened. Um, More present-day, like my grandpa was in the Navy. Both of my grandparents were in the Navy. My dad was in the Navy. Um, my, mom, my mom's dad was in the army, um, but I just, I felt comfortable with the Navy and then I decided to go for it at 18. Awesome. Sounds like you were accidentally destined to be in the Navy. So grandma Gogo knew. Yeah. She knew. What did. How did you get to be an aviation electronics technician? Well, that story is a story in itself. I, I mean, I guess. So when I joined, when I signed up to be, you know, signed up for the debt program, the delayed entry program in the Navy, and I know I'm talking to a bunch of, I'm talking to also sailors, so you guys know what I mean. But for the audience that doesn't, the delayed entry program is like just kind of that, that program where you meet with the recruiter and you work out and you study and you kind of do like facing movements, and you get used to it. My first recruiter that I had, he was actually terrible. Like, I didn't like him at all. He just showed me, like, all of these pictures of him partying it up and, like, oh, this is how we do it in the Navy, you know? Like, I went to all of these ports and I got wasted and all of this stuff. And I'm like, yo, bro, that's, that's not what I'm looking for, you know? Like, I'm already doing that and I need to get away from that, right? I need to get away from that environment. And I need some structure. I need some discipline. I need someone to be like telling me what I need to do and telling me what the Navy can offer me to get me out of that party position. So I scratched him. I was like, you're out of here, you know, and I went to a different Navy recruiter and that recruiter actually, it was probably his psychological way to get people to join the Navy, but he was kind of hands off. He was like, okay, this is what the Navy can offer you. If you want it, you want it. If you don't want it, don't waste my time. But this is what the Navy can give you. This is how you can restructure your life. You know, the Montgomery GI Bill back then, because it was that, it wasn't post 9-11, you know, um, job opportunities after you get out. So we were looking through based on my ASVAB and like, like how, how I had mentioned earlier, I had, I kind of had a lower ASVAB, not super low, but you know, when you take the ASVAB, you have the opportunity to take it a second try. But if you take that second attempt and you get even a lower score, 
then you have to stick with that lower score. So I was nervous. Like, I'm I'm rocking this score. If I do worse, then I've got to even have less opportunities. So then I kept that. And then we were looking through all of the rates and kind of picking out what would suit me best. I stumbled across the air crewman and rescue swimmer. And I was like, well, I love swimming. I'm like a water baby, right? Like I can, yeah, totally, you know. And then with air crew and rescue swimmer back then, after you completed those two schools, then they would decide what your ultimate rate would be. Back then, it was like you could be an AZ or an AD or you could be an AW or you could be a corpsman. Now they're all air crew because they're all AWs. But back then, you had the opportunity to choose. Turns out, I didn't do well in rescue swimmer school because I wasn't properly trained, I guess. And my swimming, what I thought swimming was, was not what they thought swimming was. And I I passed air crewman school, but then I went to rescue swimmer school and they're like drill sergeants. I had like a Marine instructor for my rescue swimmer school. And he would always make fun of my voice. I don't even think I could do it anymore. Because when I was 18, I had a really high pitched voice and I really talked really bubbly and I was always happy and I had a really high, 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 high pitch voice. And he said, you know, you're not going to make it. You're American. That is the worst American crawl I've ever seen in my life. And your voice is terrible. You will never be able to talk over the P3 engine. You won't be able to do this job. I'm requesting that you are attrited from Rescue Swimmer School. So here we are. I'm getting kicked out of my school. I've got a low ASVAB and I'm going to the reclassifier and I'm nervous as all heck, like thinking, oh my gosh, you know, like I'm going to be undesignated. I'm going to not have a job that I want. What did I do? Like instantly I've got all these feelings of regret, right? And shame and everything. Turns out it was a blessing in disguise. So I pled with the classifier. I was like, please, please, please just keep me in aviation because I love aircraft. I I love airplanes, right? I love electronics. You know, I've been mechanical my whole life with my dad. You know, just give me a chance. Just let me prove to you. So they allowed me to go to um, this school. It's kind of like a preschool. It's like a pre-A school. And it was called JEBS. It was like job-oriented basic service or school or something like that. And it's pretty much like kindergarten for A school students to give you kind of like a leg up, anticipating that you're coming into Common Core and you're going to have to learn these Common Core electronic functions. And this job will give you kind of that preschool kind of environment. Turns out I did well. I did great in jobs. And then I did great in my Common Core. And then I did great in my C-school. Um, so when I became an AT, I was like, oh, this is kind of a blessing in disguise because I still get to work in aviation and I still get to work on aircraft, but now I don't, I don't have to worry about my rate being compromised. So that's how I came across ultimately being an AT. And then I don't know if you guys are going to transition to it, but then later on in my Navy career, I became an RDC. So. Ooh, an RDC. That's a a whole nother story. (laughs) (laughs) We actually have a mutual friend with you, which is why we contacted you because he told us to, and we, we value his opinion. So we didn't know that you were CFW famous, but we, uh, we were like, oh, we're going to talk to her because he's like, she's an RDC and she's a badass. She needs to be on your podcast. And we said, okay. (laughs) This is like ridiculous. Like, oh my gosh. But she's crazy. And I love Ryan. I love him to death. He's, great. he's my brother from another mother. He's so energetic. He's like fired up all the time. It's like <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so Zoe, can you tell us a little bit about your duty stations that you had in the 10 years you were in the Navy? Yeah, of course. So I started obviously in Great Lakes, right? Because by that time, Orlando was not 
an option anymore for women. But so I went from Great Lakes to Pensacola and then Pensacola to Jacksonville. Yeah. And then after my tour, Jack went to Whidbey Island. I feel like we had the same track. I did the same exact thing. I did boot camp. I did Pensacola. I did Whidbey Island. We were probably there. But you didn't do Jacksonville. No, I didn't do Jacksonville. No, Jack. No, Duval. Nope. (laughs) Straight to Whidbey. That's, that's a Jacksonville thing. They're like Duval because that's the county. Um, so yeah, Jacksonville, I worked on P3s there. And then obviously Pensacola is where my A school was. I had a C school in Oceana for a short amount of time. And then I went down to Jacksonville, worked on P3s there, then went to Whidbey Island and worked on EA6Bs there. Now, for our audience that don't know those aircraft, let me just civilianize it for you guys. The P-3s, they fly really low at a low altitude, and they drop sauna buoys down into the water and hunt for submarines, right? So that's the P-3. It's low, low and slow. It's like, a, it's like a crock pot, right? Slow and low. Whereas the EA-6B Prowler, it flies at more of a mid-level altitude. And it provides enemy jamming signals out to the world so that the fighter that flies at that higher altitude can come in and attack. So the EA-6B is like electro countermeasures. It's got a lot of radar equipment and, and, um, and uh, jamming equipment that allows that intercept so that fighter could come in and attack. Hence, really cool. fighter attack. Yeah, FA-18s. So when I went to Whitby, I went and I started working on radar on the EA-60 Prowlers. And that's when I was theopdot on the Eisenhower, the Stennis, and the Theodore Roosevelt. And let me just say that um, my time on the ship was much better than my time being like a ground pounder, you know, like as they say, like. For those that only have shore duty, it was finally my time to get some salt on my combat boots so I could be a salty sailor. (laughs) And so when I was out to sea, I like loved every minute of it. I loved being out to sea. I loved watching dolphins like, like swim with the ship. I liked watching that, that, um, it's like, I don't know the proper term, but it's like that flora that lights up neon in the water that that floats with the ship, right? It's just like, there is so much solace to being out to sea in the middle of the ocean and just making sure that you're doing your job, you're doing your part. That's like, man, it's like, it's amazing. I would, I always recommended to my recruits that they need to go out to sea at some point in their Navy career. Um, so after my time with the Eisenhower and in Whippy, then I went to Great Lakes, back to Great Lakes, and I put a red rope on my shoulder and started instructing the new recruits as a recruit division commander, also known as like a drill instructor or a drill sergeant. And in the old Navy, it was called a company commander. But that probably was my best tour ever. I loved that Uh, one. And that really defined me like as a sailor. So I really enjoyed that. Shaping the young mind. And then I got out. Behind you. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. I was training my replacement. Ultimately, I was training my replacement. Yeah. Good old boot camp. (laughs) Yep. Great mistakes. A million dollar question for you, Zoe. Okay. Do you prefer the East Coast or the West Coast? The West Coast. All right. We yeah. think yeah, West we really Coast. only do that. Yeah, it's rare. Probably like yeah. one out of eight. I would say like one out of eight is East Coast right now. It might even be bigger than that. Why? We don't know. We're West Coast. Right? Has never ever left the yeah. East Coast. Yeah, some people never did. Yeah. On the West Coast. 
some, especially sailors, you know, it's so odd that, or it's, it's probably not odd. It's probably very common, but you know, when sailors, when they get their duty stations, they stick to them. Yeah. Right. Like, like East coast sailors prefer being on the East coast or like West coast sailors, they prefer being on the West coast. And then you've got Japan sailors and they, they stay their entire life forward deployed in Japan. Yeah. You know, it's like you find your groove and then you're good with it. You know, like San Diego, Whidbey, Jacksonville, Norfolk and Japan. Yeah. And a lot of those sailors get those groups. Yeah. The lot of sailors that enjoy that one region might leave for a minute, but then they do absolutely everything they can to get back. Yeah, exactly. Weren't you just here? Like, (laughs) did you do a tour? Yeah, but I'm back. Just take some leave. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, wait a second. Didn't your ass leave? Now you're back. I'm still here. I'm back. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I noticed if I could have done two tours at RTC, I would have. Right. I loved it so much. Yeah. <laughs> At Whidbey Island, a lot of the controllers I worked with up there got out and went DOD controlling for Whidbey Island. Like they just stayed there as DOD controllers. Like they just, and they're like, we never have to leave now. Yeah, exactly. Same thing at North Island. Like some yeah. of our, yeah. It, it, yeah. And at North Island also, like, especially at like FRC Southwest, which used to be AIMD. Mm-hmm. San Diego or North Island. I'm I'm sorry, North Island. You know, we'll get out of the Navy ATs and then we'll just we'll just land a contracting gig yeah. with like Nav Air and then just do the same job as the AT, but just as an independent contractor and get paid even more. Yeah. You know? Or like doing our job and but doing it like in Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. or in Kuwait. Or in Bahrain, you know, obviously a woman, we can't be in Saudi Arabia by ourselves because clearly we can't be trusted, but I've got some fellow technicians that I served with that are in Kuwait working just as an independent contractor doing the same exact job. Yep. You know, so it's like, hey, man, awesome. You do you. Yeah. Room and board. Pay you know? And it can be very. Thinking. Yeah, it, could, it can be very lucrative. And I'm I'm only assuming, Amanda, like as air traffic controller, I don't know if you're still doing that like present day. But that also like that's a very stressful, very taxing job. So you're compensated pretty well like in the civilian world for oh, yeah. a, for an air traffic controller yeah so it's like does yeah well, for sure why not you know? <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely if you like our podcast subscribe on podbean apple podcast spotify tune in google podcast amazon or wherever you choose to listen to your podcasts also leave us a review and let us know what you think I know that you have a great sea story that you can tell us today. Love it when we get to call them sea stories. I know. I know. The army's like. So it's not necessarily a sea story because it's not at sea, but it is an RTC story. Oh, all right. All right. And I love that. It's a good story. It's like just, it's a heartwarming story, right? Because my time at RTC, actually, I'll do two short stories. I'll do a funny story and then I'll do like a serious story, but I'll make them two short ones. So when I, when I first became an RDC, right, obviously, <clears throat> I still have a little bit of a high pitch voice, but I was trying my hardest to become a woman and deepen my voice and lead the future of our Navy. Right. And so I was doing all that I could. I was like yelling at my dog, like giving her commands. <laughs> Lily, down, you know, like, push up position, get there. Right. So I'm using the dog, like, to practice my commands to instruct recruits. 
right? And and those hours are long at RTC, especially when you're brand new and you're still learning. And, you know, it's like zero four to 2200. And then you go home. You don't even take your hair out of a bun. You just go, you lay your head down. And then it's like, I put my socks back on and like tie my So boots. when you slept overnight, Judy, it was actually a relief because you knew you were probably going to be able to sleep a little bit longer that night. Oh, you're talking about like Rover Watch, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even though you're not supposed to be sleeping like on Rover Watch, they did have like an area where you could like rest, right? They had like a little office and like you could do like in between your rows, right? Because we're, we need to make sure that all the compartments in the ships are, you know, 100% like safe and every, and no one's doing anything crazy. People aren't hopping into each other's bunks and stuff, getting wild, having blanket parties and stuff. Um, But yeah, when I knew that he didn't have to go home at the end of the night and I could just stay there, it is kind of like a bonus. It's like a little bit of a relief. It's like, oh, okay, then I'll just shower in the morning when the recruits are doing PT, you know, and I'll just, you know, give myself a hot shower, you know, deodorant up fix my hair a little bit, whatever. But my funny story, right? So I'm still getting used to going into the compartment, right? And, you know, as a female RDC, right? It's usually two males and one female, right? And that comprises three RDCs. I go into an all-male compartment. And I walk in, I wish I could demonstrate this, you know, like I walk into the compartment and I just kind of scan around and I'm like eyeball it. I'm like watching like the compartment and, you know, recruits are just doing all their things, you know, like maybe someone's got their rack propped open and they're fixing their, you know, their skivvies stack or their socks or something, or you got one guy that's over there, like adjusting a towel. And there's another guy with like a sock on a stick and he's looking for like dust bunnies, you know, like just there's movement all over. And I just walk in, I've got my uniform on, I got my rope. They know that I'm there. I turn around and I walk back to the fishbowl and there's a cat call. And I don't, I don't know how to whistle, right? But it's like, Amanda, can you whistle for her? I can't whistle. Right? I don't know how. But Neither can I. Like a, <laughs> none of us can whistle. Isn't that crazy? So it's the cat call. It's, okay. So since I'm like the most junior RDC, like I'm fresh, I am like new. I don't know what the heck to do. The chief hears it. He marches out of the fishbowl. He goes out into the middle of the compartment and he was like, are we allowed to cuss? Yes. He says, who the fuck just cat called? And he's fucking livid, man. His face is bright red and he's a bald guy. Like he's like a submariner, right? And he goes wild. No one owns up to it. The whole compartment goes silent. And I'm just standing back a little bit, like at the entrance of where the fishbowl is, like where the watch would stand, right? Like I'm not in the middle of the compartment at this time. The chief is. He says, everybody on the fucking tow line now. And then he was like, petty officer, come here. And so I walk out. I I walk out into the middle of the compartment and everybody is just scared. They're just scared shitless. Their eyes are all forward. No one is, no one is looking at me in my direction. You can tell it's like a bartender who doesn't want to make eye contact with you. You know, it's like, he says, who is going to own up to this? No one. He was like, Seriously, no one is going to own up to a fucking cat call. Y'all aren't man enough to address petty officer. 
Roger that. Petty officer, I formally request your presence in two hours for an ice cream party. And I says, Roger that, Chief. I'll be back in two hours. Thank you. And I like take off. If you guys don't remember what an ice cream party is, ice cream social, right? Like when, you know, like when you have a carton of ice cream and you leave it out and it creates this condensation around the edge of it and then it starts to sweat and start beating to sweat. So there's a one MC announcement for an ice cream social in compartment A TAC 01. All petty officers and RDCs are invited. The whole ship, all of the RDCs came back to this compartment and we proceeded to do ITE to the recruits <sighs> until someone eventually manned up and just took one for the team or whatever. But that kind of broke the ice for me, how to do like that ITE. An ITE is, you know, a beating for everybody else. It's not Navy, right? <laughs> like when we beat the recruits, right? Intensive training exercises. It corrects substandard performance is what the literature says, right? So it's a, it's a tool, a motivational tool to correct substandard performance. So we ended up giving them an ITE, an ice cream social for the, for the cat call. And that was, that was able to prime me to make me like even a more meaner RDC because it's like, these fools, like why on earth do you think that it's even okay to cat call, let alone another female recruit, but a freaking RDC, like you have to have some balls on you to do that. Yeah. So that's my funny story. My my serious story is another time at RTC and that is like my it's it's the whole reason why we do what we do, right? At RTC and that's to mold sailors and create, you know, um basically trained, highly disciplined, physically fit sailors. We all know the slang and we all know the jargon. But when it comes time to graduation day, right? Like you guys remember graduate, you remember pass and review, especially women, because we wake up really early and we fix our hair. We get to wear makeup and like, we're like, <laughs> we're like, yeah, we're like waking up super early. I got like a flat iron or a curling iron, you know, and it's like, you're doing you right. And you're putting on your makeup. So come pass and review day was always really, um, special to me as the RDC because that's the day that they're presenting themselves to their family, right? That's the day that they finally get to see their family members, whether they be husbands or wives or moms or dads or children, right? That's their day to shine, right? It's not for us, right? As soon as Liberty Call is called, the RDCs, we like, bolt. we're like, yeah, Liberty Call for us. Y'all spend time with your family. Bye. I get a couple of hours for a break. But that time for them, you know, is special because they want to truly represent the Navy and everything that they've learned in these last eight weeks and how they've changed, right? And they're ready to serve their country. And everything is, everything is right in their minds because they feel great about passing boot camp and they are sailors. So, I had a recruit and I should call him a sailor because he was a sailor at that point. He's getting ready. Everybody's getting ready in the compartment. They're all squaring away their neckerchiefs, right? And they're making their hats look perfect and straightening it out and making sure that they got everything shaved and everything. Recruit comes up to my office and I'm just sitting in the office like these motherfuckers, right? Like all these guys, they're like trying to make themselves look like like oh you so sexy you recruit you all smell like mothballs right so I get three knocks right three knocks I said enter he takes three paces in right gives me a hand salute reports right he's like petty officer 
respectfully request permission to ask a question, petty officer. I was like, well, you just did. So you want to ask another one? And I'm just being an ass to him. He stands at attention. And he says, petty officer, do I look like a sailor? That just gave me chills. I said, I know. And I said, I don't even remember what his last name is, right? Smith, right? Smith. You don't look like a sailor. You are a sailor. And like that just gave me chills, right? For that recruit, that sailor, I molded that. I trained that. I led that. I led that human from the moment that they stepped off the bus to their pass and review. And for him to ask me that question, like, do I look like a sailor? Am I presentable to my family, to my loved ones? Do I look like a sailor? Oh, that's probably my best moment in my Navy career is having that. And it's just, and now like, because I'm so close to Great Lakes and I still have such a, a strong affiliation with RTC because I know, you know, a lot of the leadership still there. Now I have a recruit there who is an RDC. Wow. Oh, wow. And so he's always sending me pictures like my little, his last name is Sombrano, but I called him my little Sombrero because he was like short and he was always like a stick. But now he's like sending me pictures with his red rope and he was like, Mama Bear, see this? I'm like, oh my God. Those oh freaking recruits, man. They could be so dang special and so precious. It's just, those are my moments in the Navy that I just, I loved. You know, obviously serving my country is wonderful and enjoyable, but molding something, creating something and instilling in them like good practices, that's what, that's what makes it worthwhile. And that's why anybody that's in the Navy should always want to do a tour at RTC because it really humbles you. And it makes you look at others that are wanting to join. And then you can watch them travel for the rest of their Navy career. And you can you can feel good about being a part of that. I just, yeah. I love that. That's amazing. All right. Well, if you would like to contact Amber or myself for any further questions or any reason at all we can be found on facebook instagram twitter and tiktok at veterans drinking vodka you can also email us at veterans drinking vodka at gmail.com or check out our website veterans drinking vodka.com in case anyone was confused about who we are everything veterans drinking vodka like amanda said you can reach out to us pretty much anywhere and We would love to hear from you if you're interested in being a guest on our podcast and telling your story. You can send us an email or a direct message. So eventually, though, you do have to put that behind you and transition from being an active duty sailor to being a veteran. How was your transition? Mm. It was... um... It was difficult yet secure, all right? So with me, I feel a little bit, um, I, I'm extremely blessed, right? When I, before I joined the Navy, I had my own hardships because I was alone, right? And I didn't have anybody to give me support or um, structure or discipline. When I transitioned out of the Navy, you know, I had... Um, my fiance, soon to be my husband, and he was also active duty military. So when I transitioned out, I took off my hat of service member and put on a new hat of spouse. So I had a little bit of a security blanket in that aspect because a lot of veterans that don't serve 20 years, as soon as you get out, you know, maybe 
you don't have any more base access. You don't have any more of the privileges that you had as active duty. You're not getting BAH. You're not getting BAS. You're not getting a uniform allowance. You might not have health care. You know, you have to go out and figure it out, right? So in that regard, I was blessed because I had my husband and he was active duty. So I still had base access. I still had access to TRICARE. I, you know, I had a stipend, right? Because I had him. But when I got out of the Navy, I felt so alone because I still had to figure out like where I was going to work, right? And I still had to figure out what I was going to do, right? Like what in the world am I going to do now? And, you know, I, you know, I traveled to Japan, my, my husband, male boyfriend, fiance, then he was stationed in Yokosuka. And so I traveled to Yokosuka and I started teaching English, English in Japan at a Japanese night school. And so I was doing this English teaching, um, conversational English to Japanese students in the evening. It was night school. And I was going to school full time. Six months later, when we came back to the States, I had to get a real job. And when I went to a job fair, right, because um, TAPS, TAPS class, that week-long TAPS class that we all go to to help us transition to the other side, right? TAPS class was terrible. You know, the only thing that I got out of TAPS was how to file my unemployment claim and how to file my disability claim. Oh, you got and more that's than it. I didn't, you know, and like, and that's only because I was paying specific attention to those two key points. You know, like these are things that I need to know. I'm like diligently like with a notepad, like writing notes and stuff. When it came back time for us to return to the state and we went to San Diego, I had to get a job. And so like, here I am. I took the resume that we created from TGPS from TAP class, right? And I'm super proud of it. I put on like, I went to Express and I bought like a, a suit, right? And a collared shirt and I buttoned it up. And like, I've got my, I've got my resume, you know, I've got a little briefcase. I'm like going to a job fair, I'm like super excited. I'm like, I'm going to land a job. I give my resume to a woman, an HR lady, obviously. Um, and she takes my resume. She looks at it. <laughs> this is your resume? I was so embarrassed. My face turned bright red. She, I swear to God, she laughed at me and she laughed at my resume. She did not know. She didn't know and I didn't know, right? So as soon as I, as soon as she gave me my resume back, I put it into my briefcase. I left the job fair. I went into my car and I started bawling my eyes out. I was so scared. I was like, did I just make the biggest mistake by getting out of the Navy? Like, what am I going to do? Like, no one is going to hire me. Like, and it was, it was hard. I was looking for a job for like almost a year. And, you know, Mike was serving. He's active duty. And of course he's very supportive. He's like, don't worry, don't worry. We're gonna, you're going to find something. You're going to get something. But it just kept like, I just, I wasn't able to make it past that applicant tracking system, that portal, you know, like my resume wasn't kicking off these keywords. So when I transitioned out of the military, I was super scared y'all because I wasn't given the I wasn't given the correct tools to succeed. That TGPS program didn't really, they were too rushy. They were like, this is how you create a resume. This is what you put here. This is, just put this in and just copy and paste. 
Like, I, and I thought that that was good. I thought that that was what you needed to do. So when I transitioned out, you know, finally, I got an interview. And I had had some interviews. But when you tell people, like, that you are a drill instructor, or you tell people that you were in aviation, but then you're in a bachelor's program for HR, you know, like those, those things, they don't jive. Right. So it's like, nobody wants an asshole HR person. (laughs) Exactly. Right. They're like scared. And when I did finally get an interview with a, um, with a job with United Healthcare, they were worried. Like my manager told me, like, we were worried that you were going to be rough around the edges or that you were going to, you know, be hard. And when when you put on there that you are a drill instructor, a recruit division commander, and then you talk about boot camp, and yeah, I'm a master training specialist, right? Those those words, that jargon, it it puts people off because they don't know how to understand it. They don't. So what I needed to do is I needed to shift everything about everything that I did in the Navy. I needed to re-translate it, you know, like me describing how the planes are. You know, I've learned over the course of my years on how to explain those Navy terms that us three, we know, Mm -hmm. but to the common, like not common folk, but. Yeah, to the civilian people that have never experienced that, you have to reword it in a vocabulary that they understand. Yeah. And so once I started changing my vocabulary, I started getting more and more bites, so to speak. Right. Um, Fast forward a couple of years, then I stumbled across Miss Better in America, you know, and Miss Better in America gave me of a beauty queen y'all We're in the presence no of not a beauty queen not a beauty queen so miss better in america they'll tell you and i'll tell you it's not a beauty pageant there's a staff and there's a crown but that crown just represents like just some sort of figure as we are all sister queens and if my crown is crooked i, I need you to have my six and to help me readjust it, right? The competition is all about just coming together for one common platform. And that's where I found um, the, uh, the awareness and advocacy of women veterans experiencing hardship because not everyone has the same security blanket that I had when I got out. Right. And also not everyone had the same upbringing that I had before I joined. So I want and because of what the Navy provided me and got me out now, finding Miss Veteran America and finding these other women veterans that are experiencing the same thing as they transition out of the Navy or any branch, you know, I want to be there. I want to be helping them. I don't want anybody to ever get laughed in their face like I did. No. You know, I don't want anybody to be living in their car or living in a home that's not theirs. And they've got two kids because if you are, I hate to say it, just a veteran, you know, and you don't, and you're not a retiree. Once you get out, you're out. Like more support. Like if it wasn't, yeah, if it wasn't for, me being a retiree dependent, like the Navy wouldn't know who the heck I am or care or give two shits about me, you know? So it's like, I need to be that advocate because I've experienced hardship on both ends, you know, coming in and going out. And if I can help anybody, just one person, then that's, that's what makes it worth it. You know, that sailor adjusting his neckerchief and asking me if he looks like a sailor. Yeah, 
damn right you look like a sailor because you know what? You are, you know, and we are women and we need to support each other. And that's where, um, and that's where I come to now, you know. And on that note, how are you doing now? How am I doing or what am I doing or like life in general? Yeah, just just now that you've you've been out for a little bit, you're kind of you found a passion, you found a path. How are you doing today? Today I have a lot on my plate, you know, but it's worth it. You know, I mean I I asked so I have a I have a motherly figure in my life. Her name's Grace Campbell. And when I came here to Great Lakes to serve right? Because I'm still living in the same town from when I came to Great Lakes to serve as as RTC at RTC. I lived here in Great Lake. And then when I got out and me and Mike and Mike retired, we came back here to Great Lake. So I'm back where I started. Joyce Campbell, when I came here to Great Lake, um, I served with her son on board the Eisenhower. And so when I came to Great Lakes, she said, you know what, you should stay with us until you get on your feet, you get a place, yada, yada, yada. Turns out I never left her house, <laughs> right? She kept me. She was like, you know what, there's no reason for you to pay rent when you're only going to be sleeping in a bed for six hours at, on, sun, on some days. Just stay here for the duration and we'll just see what happens, right? I never left. So Joyce you know, I, I have that. I, I don't like saying no. If someone wants, if someone needs help, if someone asks me to help, someone asks me to do something, I want to do everything in my power to make it happen because that person asked for help. And I would only want that same. I would want that same thing. If I asked for help, I would want someone to help me, you know, because we all experience times where we need help. And so Joyce asked me, you know, I can get overwhelmed. And so you ask about how am I today, right? I got a lot of different projects on my docket, you know, like being invited to your guys' podcast, you know, being on the cover of the SW magazine, serving my community, you know, trying to secure grants for a homeless shelter that we want to build in North Chicago. Um, I serve on my village board here in my community, but Joyce, Joyce put it into perspective. I said, Joyce, when am I ever not going to be busy? Like, am I ever going to get a break? And she says, no, you will never be not busy. You are always going to be looking for ways to help people. It's just who you are. Right. And so I'm like, gosh. You know, it'd be nice to have a break every once in a while. But then when I find myself having a break, I just find something else to do, you know? So it's like, I guess, I guess to simplify your question on how I'm doing, I I would say I'm doing wonderful. I'm really doing wonderful because I'm doing something that I love, right? I love helping others. You know, that's what I've devoted my life to. You know, I, I have a wonderful husband that supports me, you know, even though like I probably make him cranky every now and again, because I'm doing so much and he's probably like, gosh, just chill for a second. But he knows that it, that's just, it's in, it's in my core. I just, I just want people to know that they have resources, you know, and if I've experienced like some sort of gap in finding those resources, then I'm going to do everything in my power to bridge that gap to help people one way or another. And I'm loving what I'm doing. It's a little overwhelming at times, but you know, it is what it is. It's what I signed up for. Right. So it's like, it's not a big deal. I'll just keep on keeping on. Right. Life is a garden. Dig it like Joe dirt, you know? Perfect. Perfect. I love it. All right. So if you had any advice for fellow veterans, what advice would you give them? I did write this one down. All right. 
don't give up on your dreams, right? If you think, if you have something like in your head that you feel that you can accomplish, do it. What's the worst that can happen? You fail? Okay, figure out a new way to do it. Make make it achievable, right? Like we, and I say we, like more along the lines of women, like we find ourselves talking ourselves down, you know, like, oh, you know, like I I couldn't do that. I can't have, I don't have time for that. I'm a mom. I'm a full, I'm a full, I work full time. I'm going to school full time. Don't give up. Like it's possible. Like we, we are so strong yet we don't give ourselves enough credit because we tend to forget that like, Oh, by the way, all of these people on the earth are possible because of us women, right? Because we're the only ones that are procreating and giving birth to other humans who go out there and live and work and be themselves, right? So if we have the, if we, if we have that ability, we have the ability to do anything, right? That we put our minds to and our hearts to. And if you feel like you're, you have a roadblock, reach out and ask for help. There is no shame in asking for help. Right. Like me joining the Navy was me asking for help. Right. Like I needed help. I was living in a rundown motel that rented rooms by the hour. I was I was paying fifteen dollars to sleep in a hotel room that had a hot tub ripped out of it and a just a single mattress laid down on top of it and carpenter tacks all over the floor with no carpet. And I, I knew that I could get out, right? I knew. And so I asked the Navy for help. I said, please, like, whatever I can do to join the Navy, just let me do it, right? I didn't think that I had it. I had what it takes to become an RDC. That's a hard job, right? You got to talk really deep and you've got to be very assertive, right? That's a role that I had to overcome and and test my own boundaries and do right then I had to transition out and I had to get laughed at in my face in order for me to realize that I needed to do something different with my resume you know I you know my college you know like constantly being shot down like just throughout it's like no man that's only gonna fuel me to do that much more Right. So never give up on your dreams. Always be persistent of some next goal and just just hope and just think that there's good people out there. Um, no matter what, no matter what bullshit is like surrounding us in our day to day, there are good people out there that are more than willing to help us. We just need to step up and ask for it. Right. Because we can't assume anything. So. Absolutely. So if our viewers wanted to continue this conversation with you, or if they just had questions about what you're doing, where can they find you? So I, I wrote this down in my notes too. Like I'm on all of the social medias, right? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. But nowadays, really, you can just Google search anybody that you want. So I and I believe that I'm the only Lelena Zoe Magneta in the world. Um, but I'm on I'm on LinkedIn, right? I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. And then I also have like a um a portfolio website that just is me and uh, you know, my things, my my advocacy, my service, you know, what I'm doing in my community. And that's just my name.com. So Lelina Zoe Magneta at Lelina Zoe Magneta.com. That's just my, that's my personal website. And then it's got links to all of my social medias. Also. Perfect. So we'll put that website into the show notes. And if anyone would like to contact Zoe for questions or just want to chat with her about all these awesome things that she's doing, reach out. She'll respond. She responded to us, which is awesome. So 
Thank yes. you. Thank you for coming on, Zoe. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. This is awesome. Thank you. And as always, the reason why Amanda and I started this podcast was to not only share veteran stories and to network with other veterans, but to bring about the fact that 22 veterans kill themselves every day. And 22 is 22 too many. One is too many. And you are never alone. Veterans Drinking Vodka. Cheers.